And you can put that on the like the brochure for when people want to go in like a you know generation ship towards one. You're like ninety five percent sure you're gonna get to a planet. Otherwise, uh, <laughs> well, and good then luck. You, you could you could use that reliability score to set the prices of things. Like the real <laughs> only the richest people can go to the ninety nine percent planets. That's where the rich people go. Yeah, the one the ninety nine percent confidence for the one percent. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> There's almost certainly a planet at the end of this trip. Talking to people about dark matter and neutrinos can be funny. Surely you're joking. Hopefully, yes. What a wonderful universe. All right. Welcome to the show You're Joking. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Peter Hickerson. Uh, we're in the uh, Morrissey building. Did I pronounce that right? Morris Row. Morris Row building. The Morris Row Astroscience Laboratory. Awesome. Uh, which is, even though I've been at Caltech for decades, <laughs> I somehow didn't know about this building because it's so far off campus. Yes. Um, That's why I called it the bastard stepchild of campus. <laughs> is it just yeah. the laboratory because you're from Australia, or does everyone have to call it that? Or, <laughs> like, can can we still right. refer to it as a laboratory? <laughs> no, laboratory. Laboratory. And uh, I guess if if I have to take a break, I'll go to the loo. Or, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Or the dunny. If the we're getting dunny? really high the class dunny. on oh, this wow. on this podcast. Right. <laughs> Uh, with me, that was uh, Mitch Burrow, just our favorite GD yes. owning uh, co-host. Bring, it, bring in the smart stuff already. <laughs> All right, be translate. Well, I already learned something today, what a GED is. Uh, that's right, because so. they don't have that in Australia. And that brings me to our guest, uh, Dr. Jesse Christensen, coming back for a second time. Welcome Yay, to the show. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> we have you back because there is new news in the world of exoplanets, and we're hoping you can tell us all about it. That's right. Last time I was on the show, I was talking about the fact that Kepler, which is a NASA spacecraft, had just announced 1,400 new Kepler planet candidates. Mm -hmm. So uh, what Kepler does is look for planets around other stars, uh, and we had found a whole bunch of new ones. Uh, and I'm here today to say that Kepler finally announced its final catalogue. Uh, now I feel like I should be singing the final countdown. Um, and <laughs> we we can have... throw that in if you want. We'll <laughs> have the um, we have actually only added 200 more candidates in this final catalog, but we know a lot more about this catalog than we knew about the previous one, so it's still exciting. So when you say final, is that because Kepler is done? It's out of gas, out of juice, whatever? It's whatever out of money. Say. It's out of money. Okay. <laughs> so Kepler's data have been archived, uh -huh. and, we'll, and scientists will continue to look through it and probably find more planets and planet candidates, but the Kepler project, as funded by NASA, is finished now. Okay, so what does the satellite do then? Kepler's the satellite. Right? That's right. That's um, right. Um, so at the Mitch was telling me in the lobby we were seeing we were looking at all the satellites and he says those aren't real. <laughs> <laughs> all of this is made up. Yeah. I, I know how this works. You're looking at this tiny spacecraft and you're like yeah. you don't realize it's a one to eight scale model or something. <laughs> I always tell people when when they have conspiracy theories like that, like the flat Earth and everything, it's very it's a lot harder to have those when you actually know the people who work on it because you're literally like walking up to them and going like, no, you're lying. You're lying to me right now. <laughs> what are they paying you to make right. you say these things? <laughs> I'll pay half, quarter. <laughs> I'll pay quarter whatever they're paying you. The, the, the problem with people who believe in these things is that nothing that you say will ever make sense. That's right. To like, I'm, I've said this before on this show. Science might as well be religion or magic, because as as clear and obvious, like as, as much sense as this stuff makes to you, it still to me is like someone pulling a rabbit out of a hat and being like, see. I, I did it. Well, it seems that way, but part of what we do 
a big part of science, what scientists do, is try and teach people about it. See, religion, you can just repeat the same thing over and over until, or maybe, you know, kill them if they don't agree. But, I mean, <laughs> like, the basic idea is you can't make religion more convincing by talking about it more. Science is a little different, because you can actually teach somebody every... I, I think this... I run into a lot of people who think that, like, they're too dumb to get science, and that's not... I don't think that's true. It's just like... <laughs> well, and the good thing about science on this, and back to the flat earth theory, yeah. is that science is testable. So everybody's making fun of this guy who's, like, out in the middle of America. He wants to fly up in a rocket the and rocket see guy. for himself yeah. rocket that man the earth too, is I round. Think should be and, you know, everybody's making fun of him. And I'm like, no, that's science. He uh -huh. has a hypothesis. He's designed an experiment. I have respect for that. As long as he doesn't kill anybody or himself. Right. <laughs> Which is rocket. almost guaranteed. <laughs> How high would you need to go? To be able to see that. It's not actually very high. I mean, from a commercial passenger jet, you already start to get a you, feel yeah. for the curvature. Mm -hmm. And that's like 10 miles? Um, 10 kilometers? 30,000 30, 30, feet. feet. 10 kilometers. So, yeah. Well, I, yeah, six miles. We yeah. don't know what kilometers. Okay. <laughs> kilometers. Kilometers are clicks. That's right. I don't know. You Marine, might as well so. say nautical miles. I don't <laughs> Do know. Do you guys use clicks? I thought Marines use. No, we still metric. use miles. All right. Yeah. So, okay. So, you said you're keeping all the data. Mm hmm. So the way that you find the way that you identify these planets isn't like a picture? No, actually it's uh, really quite different. What we do is we measure the brightness of stars and we just do the same boring thing over and over and over again. And what we're waiting for is a tiny dip in the brightness of the star as a planet that's going around the star goes in front of the star and blocks some of the light. So do you remember the solar eclipse from yes, a few months ago? I do. So when the moon went in front of the star, it blocked all the light. Right. Uh, so if you're looking at planets around other stars, if they're lined up the right way, they do the same thing. They block some of the light. Uh, they usually block a very small amount of the light. Right. Uh, so you need to send big telescopes up in space uh, to take very precise measurements to see it. But that's what Kepler did. It basically spent four years measuring the brightnesses of stars over and over again. And then we, the scientists, sat there looking for dips. That's I all I did. Look for dips. I love how you say stars, by the way. Really awesome. Stars. Yeah, stars. Stars, mate. <laughs> hey, look at the stars, mate. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, but does the telescope, when it shuts down, I mean, when you run out of money, is it is it, can it be revived? Yeah, so there's there's two different real consumables here. Money mm -hmm. to keep it running. You need to employ people to be pointing the telescope, the, the dishes on Earth at the telescope to get data down and responding if something goes wrong. Uh, and fuel on the telescope. So uh, the original Kepler project is finished, but the spacecraft still has fuel. So it's being used to do something called K2, uh, which is uh, both the second tallest mountain on Earth and the sequel to the Kepler mission. Um, and what they're doing is basically an ecliptic plane survey. So the ecliptic plane is an, a region of the sky that the sun travels through. Mm -hmm. um, the zodiac, right? Exa yeah. Exactly. The Commonly zodiac is in the, the zodiac. Yeah. Uh, is, is looking in the ecliptic plane for more planets and other really cool astrophysics. Uh, but the fuel is running out. Uh, so we think that we'll be able to get something like six months more observations before the fuel actually just runs out and then we can't point the spacecraft anymore, at which point it just becomes junk floating through space. Mm -hmm. How does the information get to us? Oh, that's a really good question. So the telescope has an antenna on the back of it, uh, which is basically like a little radio dish, which is sending back the data, like mm -hmm. a radio signal. And then we have on Earth the big dishes that we point at the spacecraft and wait for the data to come back. Like down. really are big, you, right? These things are like, uh, like 60 like meters. Six, yeah, these it, huge ones that you see. Is it, with, is it Verizon or Sprint? <laughs> I got to imagine sooner or later you just... And those data charges must be astronomical. <laughs> yes, they are. That, that <laughs> is, in fact, true. one of yeah. the consumables is the money to pay for the deep space network. How's, how's it powered? Is solar? 
Is it solar uh, panels? Or? So it has solar panels that power the electronics, but the thrusters are powered with the fuel, the hydrazine it's fuel. Hydrazine? Oh, yeah. that's nasty stuff. And it's uh, yeah. running out. <laughs> How long does it take the information to get here? Uh, so it takes about eight minutes uh, because Kepler is about the same distance away from Earth as Earth is from the sun, which is one astronomical unit, we call it. And it takes light eight minutes to travel as far what as is this one astronomical like, unit. Like L2 or? L2? No, so it's actually no. in an Earth trailing orbit. So okay. as Earth goes around the sun, Kepler's kind of following it around like a mm. faithful dog that we're about to be like, no, you're done. Bye-bye, dog. Mm-hmm. Take what is that? Back. That's called something, though, that point. The ones that are in a... Oh, yeah, so the Lagrange points. Yeah. yeah, so L1 and L2 are... They're, they're basically points where the Earth and the Sun and the Moon create, uh, they balance each other out in terms of gravity is probably the easiest way to explain it. So you can park a spacecraft there in with relatively little difficulty and keep it there. Mm. Yeah, Jupiter at the same, like a similar spot, like at the same distance of Jupiter is all these asteroids. That's right, the Trojan asteroids. asteroids. Yeah. So those I think are actually at L3 and L4. Oh, okay, so that was L- the name I was looking for, yeah, L3 L- and L4. L1 yeah. and L2 are closer to the sun and mm. further away from the sun mm-hmm. from the Earth, and then L3 and L4, L4 are before the Earth and after the Earth. So it's not it's not in L4. Now I understand your question. Uh. It's not in L4. It's okay. actually in... Um, uh, <laughs> He's like taking notes. Mitch is no, like, just, got it. I just love that she, yeah. she's like, now I understand your question. And everyone else is like, I don't understand the well, question. But it leads to something really interesting about Kepler data. So the orbit of Earth is 365 days. It takes 365 days for one. Earth to go all yeah. the way around and I come back. Um, so Kepler is in a slightly longer orbit, 372 days. So it's actually drifting further and further away from Earth all the time. So it didn't oh, start out one AU away from Earth, but it's getting further oh, away. Oh, it's just a coincidence, kind of. Or, yeah, at the, oh. it's just a coincidence that in the last few months it crossed this one AU point. But we, oh. all were, we were all tickled by it when it happened. Like, mm-hmm. hey, that's a, that's a number we know. Um, but when we looked at all of the planet candidates that came out of the Kepler data, uh, you see, you see hundreds of candidates with lots and lots of different periods. So that's their year, how long it takes that planet to go around its star. And what you see is this huge spike of planets with periods of 372 days. And you're like, either the universe really loves to put planets on 372-day orbits, or there's something wrong with our data caused by the spacecraft. And in oh. fact, it's, the, it's something wrong with the data caused by the spacecraft. Oh, Why wouldn't weird. it be... The, the the universe just likes that number. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it does. It would just be scientists don't like coincidences, and the coincidence of that lining up with the orbit of the spacecraft that's doing the measurements would be too much. So, is this because there's a brightness dip that's like in resonance with the orbit or something? Basically, uh, it's a temperature. It's mm-hmm. a temperature effect. So. Yeah. Uh, when you send object, when you send telescopes into space, you're really just building a giant thermometer. Uh, any change in temperature changes the optics, changes the focus, changes how much light gets in. Because it gets bigger and smaller. That's right. So, we were, so in the lobby, we were talking about the aluminum foil and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because Mitch worked on um, on HVAC, and I was like, it's the same thing. It's just in space, you know. <laughs> That's right. So all of this expansion and contraction of materials at different yeah. temperatures that happens on spacecraft as well. And when you send them into space, they get very cold. But then the part of them that's facing directly to the sun gets quite hot. So the differential temperature oh, okay. on board the spacecraft actually changes the lengths of things inside so the spacecraft. The the side facing the, the sun and the side oh wait are going to be completely at ends on, on the temperature scale. That's right. So where those temperatures are compared to where your camera is on the telescope it, uh, makes a big difference to how good your data are, basically. Now, I, I assume that most stars uh, vary in size 
They do. Somehow. They do. So when you talk about like uh, the, like the Goldilocks zone, mm-hmm. uh, it wouldn't all necessarily be around 365 days That is for exactly the orbit, right. right. So This is a really good GED you have. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking like, it, I was just like, well, maybe if everything's at 372 days, there's just a lot of inhabitable planets. That That's the frustrating part for us because what we were really excited to find was habitable planets. But the fact that there's this massive spike of false positives right where we're really interested means that anything that really is there, we don't believe because it's just so drowned by this flood of fake instrument signals. Oh, oh no. I know. It's like exactly the wrong place. So do you guys have to retract some uh, planets or, I mean, are there less habitable planets than we last talked about? That would be depressing. Yeah. Um, so we haven't retracted any because they were always presented as candidates to start with. Oh, that's why you guys kept throwing that that's word right. in. That's right. What we have done is lower our faith in those candidates, mm-hmm. I would say. We, we, we lower came up, expectations. Exactly. Yeah. We like, came up with something called, it's basically a reliability score between mm-hmm. zero and one, where we it's basically our confidence that this is it. And a mm-hmm. lot of them got very low confidence scores. Uh-huh. And it's just because there's so many fake signals right there. And you could put that on the like the brochure for when people want to go in like a you know generation ship towards one. You're like, <laughs> okay, we're like... 95% sure you're going to get to a planet. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, <laughs> well, and good then luck. You, you could you could use that reliability score to set the prices of things. Like the real <laughs> only the richest people can go to the 99% planets. That's where the rich people go. <laughs> the 1% per- the yeah. 99% confidence for the 1%. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> There's almost certainly a planet at the end of this trip. You guys who are, you know, in like fifth class, you've got like a 1 in 3 chance. Right. But, but take it. Isn't the problem with, like, the biggest problem with, like, the generation ship that you're talking about? Mm-hmm. You're going to go to sleep, right? They're going to put you... No, in, generation like, a... ship is different. That's... Well, I guess they're both, but generation ship is usually, like, you're living on it, like, you know, like, this is home, guys. Like you, Right, you generation a... refers to the multiple generations of right. people who are going to live aboard oh, and okay. live and die aboard this ship. It's like getting on a ship that takes Ugh. a thousand years or, or something to get somewhere. And it's like, okay, we're going to just have, we're going to have a hundred generations. I mean, that's a little extreme, but... <laughs> but know, the like... problem is, by the time that ship gets to where it's going, technology would have already created <laughs> no, a ship that will get there before them. So, so someone's going to get there in like three years when everyone else was taking a thousand mm. years to get there. Yeah, right. well, you gotta they're going to be really disappointed. Choose your cruises carefully. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a tough one. I mean, I think the main people usually propose generation ships like if we literally have no choice. That's usually where science fiction authors have come up with. It's just like, okay, the Earth's going to be hit by a giant supernova. Like, what do we do? And usually, the, it's just like, uh, I guess we're all hitching a ride on this. I want the sleep thing. ship. I don't want the gen. I don't care about. My kids or my grandkids? Yeah. <laughs> I want to see the new planet. That's well, you're, you're in luck because we don't have the technology to do either right now. So <laughs> They're just as likely to be imaginarily invented. They haven't told us about the technology yet. That's what it is. Right. Elon Musk will send a private email to the 0.1% and start taking bids and everybody else can go screw themselves. So how many planets have we lost confidence in now? Well, so in the last year, 10 confirmed planets were retracted. So those were things we thought were real that were subsequently showed to be something that wasn't a planet. When you sent an email about stuff we were going to talk about, you didn't mention this depressing (laughs) news. (laughs) I feel like all of these planets are like me in high school. They had so much potential. And... (laughs) 
and now they've just let everyone is there, down. Is there like a planet GED, like an equivalent we can give them, yeah. a certificate that yeah. says, you okay, have, you're not a planet, but, right. but you, you tried really of, hard. Like Pluto? Like Pluto, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Pluto is a GED yeah, of planets. G- that's GED right. planet. <laughs> Dwarf planet. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, you guys didn't even look at the whole sky, right? You just looked at like a cone? That's right. So Kepler did a very small patch of sky and just stared at that one patch of sky for four years. But there's a new NASA mission which is launching next year called TESS. <laughs> That's um, what Mitch did in high school, by the way. That's why I knew. Stared at a small <laughs> just, patch yeah, for four years. You found a patch of sky and just stare at it for four years. And then at the end, it's like, uh, fuck it, I need to get a G. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited about this new NASA mission that's launching next year, which is going to do an all-sky survey for planets. Um, so Kepler's whole deal was to do statistics, find out how common planets like the Earth are. And TESS doesn't care about statistics, so it just wants to find the, the nearest, greatest, and brightest. Like, who cares if they're Earth-like? We just want them nearby. This will be an all-sky Yeah, survey? so it's going to oh, tile awesome. the whole sky over the that's next awesome. two years. Should launch in March. Fingers awesome. crossed if Falcon awesome. 9 stops blowing up on the launch pad. You're putting it on a Falcon 9? Yeah, it's going oh up on a God. Falcon 9. It's oh, exciting. Man. I'm gonna... if, if the sun has uh, eight planets in orbit around... what? It is nine. What, what, are we, what is nine? Well, it's not named yet, Planet 9. We, t- we met the discoverer on the show. Okay. Uh, I'll introduce you sometime. He's a cool guy. I got to catch up on some <laughs> stuff. Discoverer. Well, it hasn't been found yet, so there's still It's been predicted. Predicted, yeah. So there's eight. I mean, what are we talking about here? I don't understand. <laughs> Uh, but what, so statistics, like each, what does each star tend to have? Oh, that's a really good question. And that's what Kepler was trying to say. Uh, what we're finding, uh, is that planets are everywhere. They're like vermin throughout the galaxy. Uh, it's likely that every star has some kind of planet. Uh, it's likely that a lot of stars have a lot of planets. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, do you think we're on the, the high end or the low end in, in that Respect. That's a really that's a really good question, and uh, I'm not sure when this is going to be aired. But next week there's going to be a press release that talks a little bit about this. Ooh, I think it's going to air next week then. All right. <laughs> uh, on on December a, 14th, a, there'll be an announcement. Oh, awesome! I have a I have a question. How many stars does Planet Hollywood have? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no need for me to be right. here. Uh, <laughs> Tip your waiters. <laughs> Oh my God! I was trying to figure out how to work Kanye into this whole thing, uh, but you, you took care of it. Like, you just yeah. killed it. Yeah, all of the momentum yep. left. Everyone's just like, "Well, looking yeah. innocently at the ceiling." Huh. What's great though is we can cut those parts out. No, and that then we has sound to, hilarious. No, that has to stay. It has to. Um, you're also working on a uh, a program, and if I had my Laptop like a professional. Already <laughs> tell you, but can you tell me about the the, the program? citizen science the program? citizen science program? Yes. Right. So this was something really exciting that happened earlier this year. Uh, one of the things we get overwhelmed by when we're looking for planets is signals that look like planets that aren't planets. We spend a lot of time either looking at them ourselves, making our grad students look at them, or writing programs to do the like weeding out of the signals that look like planets and don't look like planets. Uh, so. Since the internet, one of the coolest things, in my opinion, that's happened is citizen science projects where scientists can just make all of this data available online. I think the SETI, like folding at home, was one oh, of the yeah, first ones. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. you at can home. run it at your, your home yeah. computer. 
uh, we can just make all this data available and people who are interested in science and have computers that are on the internet can can help us and, 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 and look for things. So we had all of these potential planet candidate signals and we didn't know what to do with them. So we started a citizen science program using the Zooniverse platform, uh, which has done Galaxy Zoo and uh, the, a Planet Nine search, for instance, which we were just talking about. Um, so ours is called Exoplanet Explorers. Um, so we put up all our planet candidates and we thought we'd just see what happened. And two weeks later, we were contacted by this TV show, BBC Stargazing Live, who were like, can we feature your, your citizen science program on our show? And we're like, sure, that sounds great. Publicity, that's exactly what you need when you need <laughs> citizens to do your science for you. That's awesome. Um, so it was televised in April, three nights in April, uh, and by the end of the three nights, we had two million classifications of planet candidates uh, by wow. something like twenty to 30,000 volunteers, uh, and they found, one of the things I got to do was look through everything they found, they found a four-planet system. So this is a star that had four planets going around it, um, and the reason I looked for planets, uh, stars with multiple planets uh, was because... So these fake signals that I talked about, it's really mm -hmm. hard to get multiple fake signals on the same star. So if you oh, see, yeah, right. if you see multiple okay. real signals on a star, they're much more likely to be real. A lot of the fake signals you can't repeat in the mm -hmm. same way you could if it was multiple planets. Also, if you go on a trip there, you have some backups. You that's know? It's right, like, it's, that's it's right. It's not Earth-like, but at least we found a rock to land on or something <laughs> right. like that. Um, uh, so is this uh, people's computers running the code, or is there, are they actually participating in No, so they're some... actually participating in that's this awesome. one. So we make um, friendly plots available, and the people just uh, page through, and they say, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Oh, that's great. There was another one where uh, like they were folding proteins, and that's it was right. like they turned it into a game, and then people were like playing this game, and it worked pretty well. But what if some dummy like me clicks no on, on Planet Earth's twin? And then it's lost forever. Like what's, what's <laughs> like you're op or you're openly hostile. Well, yeah. You're like, no, this right. is a this is a terrible <laughs> idea. I'm gonna hide this. We one. don't need to this find the round earthers are just trying to trick us. Um, so uh, with so many volunteers looking at them, we were lucky enough to have good statistics, and we could actually just make cuts and say everything needs to be looked at by at least ten people, and to be a good candidate, at least nine out of the ten need to have said yes. And how many did they? Wind up finding you they found hundreds of, of good candidates and they found a particular system that had four planets around it. Okay. And that was the one we made the big deal of on TV because, you know, That's it was so very awesome. likely to be real. Uh, my favorite part, though, was so on the third night of the show, we announced this system. Brian Cox, who's the host, is all mm -hmm. like, this is the most exciting episode ever, except in a British accent, which I can't <laughs> do. But then they cut to one of the citizen scientists who had been one of the people to discover the four planets. And it's like this big, sweaty mechanic from Darwin... Uh, which is like Kentucky or something. It's just the, the, as far from the Australian equivalent You're of like the East Coast. You're literally describing Mitch right now. <laughs> uh, describing guy, Australian this, Mitch. This guy sounds awesome. No wonder he found it. Um, and yeah, they cut to him and he's just like, yeah, no, it's great. It's my first scientific discovery. <laughs> and just the That's confidence awesome. with which he was sure it'd be followed by many. I love just my first one. Yes. Of, 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 of what I'm sure This we'll guy doing. sounds like he wasn't even like really able to make the volcano in science class, you know? <laughs> But yeah, he found a planet. Uh -huh. He found four planets. That's he found awesome. four planets. So, that, uh, wow. so he gets to be on the paper. The paper was actually just accepted last week, which, you know, I, I know That's I said so it was cool. in April, but it paper? takes six months to write these stupid things. Um, and ki I imagine kids can do this too. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Be so if, like, absolutely. Uh, I don't think this is really a kid show, but if there's any kids listening or people with kids, that sounds like a really fun thing to do. Yeah, if you want to go find planets, exoplanetexplorers.org. Go That's do it. amazing. And I'm sorry Kevin said the F word earlier. 
<laughs> we'll, we'll bleep it out in some version. How do you how do you get to this? Just citizenscience.com or like what's the Once again, exoplanetexplorers.org. exoplanetexplorers.org. And like uh <laughs> this is I don't know if this is a, a good place for it, but is there like any are there any like Reddit communities or anything like that where people are discussing these things cuz there's like the Zooniverse platform actually has a forum uh-huh. online and it's very active. Uh, we call them super users. There's like this community of people who get super excited and super into it and email me a lot, um, <laughs> which is, it's, it's great that they're so invested, but it's also like, I don't have time to uh-huh. answer everybody. I'm really sorry, guys. I'm really do sorry. You, I just can't answer everyone. Do you have a email for that and then for actual research? I should have. <laughs> oh, no. That was my first mistake. <laughs> yeah. How they got my get, actual email. You get through your actual, you get, you have to get through your day now with all of this going on uh, as well. That's right. Earlier today, I tried to delete the latest email uh, from today's thread. And it was like, do you want to delete all 230 emails in this thread? And I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> I haven't even read them all. And I'm sure they're all labeled urgent. That's right. <laughs> Every, planet everybody found. has always found the next Earth size thing. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <clears throat> I get a lot of emails about and comments on Facebook from the podcast stuff, but a lot of like physics theories. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people have physics theories. Newton was wrong, or Einstein was wrong, yeah, or the or Nobel just... prizes are rigged, and yeah. <laughs> well, they are against well, women, are but that's a different emails, conversation. So. <laughs> yeah, um, there was a there was a scientist who was nominated, female scientist who was nominated forty eight times before she won her Nobel Prize. I'm not <laughs> and surprised. I and I'm I'm uh, I can't remember her name right now, but <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. because I'm part of the problem. <laughs> Maybe if she would have been nominated 49 times, you would have remembered. <laughs> well, she won on the 49th time. So, eventually. They're like, okay. Fine, I, I guess. guess. <laughs> Just to make him go away. Okay, fine. We don't want this lady again. So, um, I know it's not exactly your, your area of expertise, but uh, I'm still really interested. There's been so much more information about this, this asteroid from interstellar space. From and space. Since, and since you uh, study... Uh, like interstellar objects. Um, I was hoping you could tell us something about it, like where you think it's from. Uh. Sure. So, I mean, it's interesting that you say it's not really my field of expertise because uh, it took a while. Well, I don't even know if it is. Sure. No, 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 no. no. It it, it isn't. And uh, one of the things it highlights is, you know, there are these communities on Twitter, like all of the planetary scientists follow each other on Twitter and all of the exoplanet astronomers follow each other on Twitter. And there's a little bit of overlap. And it took a little while for the significance of this discovery to like leak through from one side to the other. So all of the solar systems scientists were like wait guys wait guys did you see this did you see it it's that's that's definitely not from here that's <laughs> did you see it and we're all just over here like la 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 well, that's not a planet mm, that's not a planet either uh and eventually one of them literally was like guys i don't think you realize what's happening oh and by the way the name of this thing is uh umoa umoa yeah umoa moa so i went and listened <laughs> to a sound bite before uh-huh. the podcast Oumuamua. Oumuamua. All right. I used to work in Hawaii, so I... The, but you, you, you got said, pretty close. Yeah, you said it with an Australian accent. Though. That's right. That was That's the clearly the difference. And it, this is the asteroid <laughs> that is not from our uh, solar system. Yep. yep. That's right. So and We talked um, about it in the other episode, but more has come out about it. Like uh, Yeah, so now I don't know what, where you guys got up to with your last episode, but um, one of the things they did was observe its brightness uh, for a few different days, and its brightness was changing by so much they realized that instead of something kind of ball-shaped or even 
peanut shaped like most of the asteroids in our solar system that this had to be a really long narrow like even more pronounced than a cigar sort of shape mm-hmm. okay. um, like as much as 10 to 1 which is just very strange like that's not yeah an we object. don't see those not in even, our solar system not even close uh, uh, so yeah that's really interesting and um, i also i did a calculate people asked me to do a calculation i calculated something um another really interesting thing about it is that it's spinning too fast to be anything other than a solid object mm-hmm. which is really interesting so so asteroids in general they have gravity just like earth but it's like a really small amount and there's a lot of them in our solar system. I don't know how many, but uh, a lot of them aren't really like a solid rock, like you think of it. They're like little pieces, and they're just sort of gently clumped together. And big big of, dust bunnies. Yeah, and and one of the reasons they can't be long is because if if an object's spinning, the it's very easy. The gravity's so weak, they can just fly apart over a certain size. So they that's you mentioned the peanut shaped ones. Some of them are like literally like like a dumbbell because. They're spinning around and they're only a little bit like stuck together in the middle. Will they eventually break apart then? No, well then they don't exist. I mean, if they break apart, we don't see them. These so. one, the ones that are peanut shaped, are stable at this point. Okay. Unless something came along to speed them up. But yeah. this one is uh, like a, a, a like a foot long hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but more like but, 100 meters yeah, long. Yeah, 100 but to 400 meters. Yeah. But it's it's spinning around. Uh huh. Yes, quite fast. And so it's and, tumbling. And what does that mean? It just means that it can't be a pile of rocks. It has to be a, a single solid thing, a, so- a solid any- chunk of something. Yeah, it's clearly own- an alien spacecraft. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Finally, I someone admits it. I thought you'd be happy about it because oh, they also know it's made out of metal because it's kind of orangish. So it's some sort of iron. It doesn't have mm-hmm. stuff on it. it. Doesn't have ice or anything. And like the that. brightness changes their uh, LED lights on the outside. <laughs> right, the it's landing some, lights. Some sort of, exactly. It's, like a, it's their like form the of, of it's their form of Morse code that they're sending to. We haven't figured it out yet. That's Someone right. get on this immediately. Yeah. Well, no. We're going to be analyzing. It's leaving. This. That's another problem, though. It's very sad because we won't talk back. Yeah. <laughs> we got us. We got to shine some lights at them. Let yeah, them know. Un- unfortunately, we didn't catch it until it was already leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and this actually brings me back to another interesting point that I just learned on Monday, which is what percentage of the asteroids that we know of do we have measured diameters for? You want to guess? Uh, because you asked, I'm guessing it's small. So it's less than twenty five percent. Oh, okay. Less than twenty five percent of the asteroids that we know about have measured diameters, which is totally freaky in my opinion, because like they're all just flying around out there. We but don't know how big they hard, are. It's hard though, right? Because they can is... be brighter and smaller, and they can be darker and bigger, right? Doesn't that make it kind of there's a degeneracy. Or... There is, um, but it's just frightening that there's all of these things flying around out there that we don't have even a basic piece of information mm-hmm. about. Is this what keeps you up at night? As of Monday, it is. <laughs> Why don't we know the size of these asteroids? That's right. NASA should fund more missions. What well, is there it? is a new mission going on. I talked to somebody who's on WISE, and there's a new... Neocam. Survey. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. And Actually, got... it was a Neocam talk on Monday. That ah. was... <laughs> <laughs> um, it, yeah, it has, like, an enormous field of view. I mean, it's like, it, it has this giant, giant camera, like, gigapixels or something. It's, like, mm-hmm. the most... Insanely big right. camera. The PI of that mission is there. I'm pointing, pointing down diagonally through the floor. to the ground. Because <laughs> we're in the same building as him. Uh-huh. You have great spatial relations. <laughs> it's just like, and it's just raw coordinate system of the building. That's right. <laughs> Pick out the office. That's I'm, awesome. This is a really useful audio thing that I'm pointing <laughs> at the floor. What is the average size of an asteroid? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, So now I'm recalling the talk that I saw on Monday. Uh, Most of the ones uh, in the plot were less than 140 meters. There was a chunk between 140 meters and a kilometer and very few larger than a kilometer. And that's uh, the diameter or? 
Yes. Okay. But, I mean, that's if they're round, I guess, because mm. you said they're not all round, right? Well, yeah. Some of them. Yeah. Are... The bigger they question. get, the rounder they get, I think. Yeah, the kilometer-sized ones are, are probably round. And so what size would be, like, a planet killer? Um. So the one that killed the dinosaurs, I think, was 10 kilometers, she said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's like an extinction level. Yeah. So they're not. They're very rare. (laughs) But you know what? A kilometer-sized one would be really unpleasant. It might not kill off. Still not a good time. It might not kill off like ninety-five percent of all species, (laughs) but it could still, you know, kill off us. But if the average one is the size of like a a one and a half football fields, then it's well. So. Most of them are less than that. A chunk of them are between 140 and one kilometer, and then a small number are greater than a kilometer. So most of them are less than 140. That, okay. Those were the three bins on the plot. I don't know the granulation less than that. So the one that hit Russia, remember the dash cam videos of the cool one that hit Russia? Mm-hmm. That was 19 meters. It was green meters. when it came down, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Green fireball. Yeah, and, Very and, cool. And, mm-hmm. uh, good that it happened in Russia because of all of the insurance scams so that everybody had dashboard cams. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so 19 meters. That was 19 meters. Oh, that's not big at all. No. No, but okay. it's still, I mean, they're going really fast. And so that one detonated like a huge, the energy of a huge nuclear bomb. And is that It just ni- was conveniently very high up. That's called a bolide. So they don't all do that, though. If it was 19 meters in space, what does it come to once it comes through our atmosphere? Because it burns up a lot. Yeah, so it actually, I mean, shattered into pieces as part mm. of this explosion in the upper atmosphere. And that's why less damage happened, because the explosion actually happened quite high up. So fragments hit the Earth, but... It actually. <laughs> <laughs> I like that sound. I gotta figure out more questions that'll allow you the opportunity to provide sound effects. <laughs> and that injured a lot of people. Like a big problem was that it gave off a flash of light, so a whole bunch of people went over to see what it was by the window, and then the windows blew out. And yeah, so the, most the shockwave from the from explosion ex- pushed everybody's windows. And in. it went. <laughs> <laughs> What He's making the, a very suggestive what, what hand motion. What sounded the shockwave? Maybe they called the ambulance, and then as that was driving up, you could hear the sirens going. <laughs> He's trying to get you to say the sound I, again. I, I, <laughs> we do it on tape. We could just we could edit it in if we want. We could have that be a button. I, well, why don't you ask me about another way to find planets, and then I have a science reason to use the siren sound. Okay, cool. What is another way that we could find planets? So besides the light dimming, as a planet goes in front, uh, we can use the pull of the planet on the, on the star. So how we do that is when the planet is pulling the star around, uh, the star moves a little bit and moves towards us and away from us and towards us and away from us and towards us and away from us. So you're giving me a confused look. So when the planet is pulling the star around? Yeah, so everything has gravity. Like I'm pulling on you right now, just not as much as the Earth <laughs> okay. or the sun. So, I felt it too. I just I wasn't sure. <laughs> so the 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 sun is pulling on all of the planets, right? But the planets are all pulling on the sun as well. Okay. So in particular, Jupiter is actually pulling the sun around the middle of our solar system in a circle. Oh, cool. Uh, the, the radius of the circle is like 150,000 kilometers. So the sun's actually doing this in the middle mm. of the solar system because as Jupiter goes around, it's pulling the sun. In okay, fact, the, it's not at the center of the, the solar system is not always in the sun, which is super weird. And so the, the sun is kind of like going like a small hula hoop kind of. That's right. 
Okay. So, and other stars with big planets going around them are doing the same thing. You can just imagine, now I've got this picture of all the suns <laughs> in the sky and dark hula hooping. That's a great picture. We really need a video element of this. this We're going to start. We're going to start from at some point. Um, but what we can do is we can actually see them hula hooping by using a certain type of telescope. Uh, and the thing is, as they're, as they're coming towards us, uh, all of their spectral lines get shifted towards us. Uh, have you heard of redshift? No. Okay. So Redshift is basically... It sounds like a band. It, it sounds, it sounds I was like going to say it sounds band. like a video game. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got it on Xbox One, but I hear PS4 has a pretty good <laughs> version as well. Redshift. Yes, Redshift is also the source of one of the most common and embarrassing typos in astronomy papers if you forget the F. <laughs> Which ha- happens right. with surprising regularity, or maybe it's not surprising. Um, I had a, a Russian teacher for string theory, and he always said, uh, instead of world sheet, he always said world shit. Uh, <laughs> it's just really hard to focus in class hearing that over. <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, this, as the planet, planet's pulling the star around, we can see it. And the way we can see it has to do with what's called the Doppler effect. So when an ambulance is coming towards you mm-hmm. and then goes past you and goes away, the sound changes, right? Mm-hmm. It goes yeah. from being... As it goes by, right? <laughs> right? That was beautiful. <laughs> and what's happening is the sound waves, as the ambulance is coming towards you, the sound waves are being compressed mm-hmm. because it lets out a sound wave and then it moves and lets out the next one and it moves. So effectively the distance between the sound waves is, is smaller. Yes. But then as it's going away, the opposite happens. It lets out a sound wave and moves away and lets out a sound wave and moves away. So it's like the frequency of that sound gets stretched out. Right. So it's mm-hmm. a lower sound. This all makes complete sense. <laughs> I don't don't pay attention to the glazed look in my eyes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, and the same thing happens with light. Light is a wave just like sound is a wave. So as the star is coming towards us, the frequency of the light gets squished up. Mm-hmm. And then as the star is going away from us, the frequency of the light gets stretched out. And it's that noticeable? Yeah. So uh, it's... Because a hundred... Uh, well, how- with a machine. I mean, well, with, with a very, yeah. very precise spectrograph. <laughs> right, so you said uh, Jupiter and, and our sun. That's right. What was, the, what was the difference? So the distance is like 150,000 kilometers, but what we care about is how fast the sun is moving. So the, the signals go from Jupiter-sized planets create signals that are a few meters per second. So uh, that's like running speed. Mm-hmm. Run, the star is like running. Earth-sized planets create signals that are only... Eight centimeters per second. Wouldn't a star roll because it's a ball? <laughs> oh, man. All right. I'm adding to the conversation here. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, so the signal caused by an Earth-sized planet is currently beyond our technology. An Earth-sized planet in an orbit like the Earth's orbit. Uh, we can, we're, we actually can't measure things that precisely but yet. Wasn't Proxima B found that way, though? So Proxima B yeah. doesn't have an orbit like the Earth's orbit, right? Proxima oh. B is very close oh, to its that's star. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, so the closer they are, the bigger the signal. But still in the <laughs> habitable zone because the star is so cold, which is right. kind of weird. Um, we had an episode on that, too. Cool, cool. <laughs> Covering all of the relevant things, right. I see. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the second most common way of finding planets is by looking for this signal, this Doppler signal. This, here's the thing. This sa- sounds so fascinating and so exciting. But I have to imagine the actual science that goes into this is somewhat monotonous and boring. 
on a, on a daily basis? So when I, when I was a grad student uh, and I was being made to do the most boring and monotonous part, I looked at 88,000 light curves. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking for these dips. <laughs> so that way, is literally just sitting there and imagine me just like pressing enter 88,000 times and looking at a new plot of a star's brightness and being like, no planet, mm-hmm. no planet, and then- no planet. No planet. I did that for four years. I found no planets oh, when I was a grad student. But the, this is how it but the mechanic from uh, Darwin. He, but the mechanic from Darwin. He found it. <laughs> that's right. And that's what you get when you send a telescope into space. Kepler revolutionized our ability to discover planets because we sent a one meter telescope into space. Like I was using a 50 centimeter telescope in sighting Spring Observatory in Australia, which is crappy sight even for Australia. Um, so. And academia is set up like this. This is this is the the secret of academia. This is how it works. Slave You're, labor. Yeah, slave labor. Grad school <laughs> is slave labor. You're paid almost nothing. It's for the honor of graduating. You become very very motivated as an employee towards the end. <laughs> In fact, you could be held hostage sometimes. Effectively, there's, you know, there's some uh, some bad cases out there. Um, but eventually, then you know. Then you go into being a postdoc, which is even lower. Students. Well, <laughs> now there's don't forget there's there's like purgatory, which is right. postdoc, where you <laughs> neither get to do you don't have to do the hard work anymore, but you also have no way to nobody to help you. But right. eventually you get the grad students. And then, that's right. That's right. When you're a grad student, you're just thinking about the time when you're a professor and you can have minions, <laughs> and that's when it's all going to be worth it. It's just a cycle. Yes. It's yes. Just, you you go through terrible, horrible things, and you, you're just looking forward to the day that you can make other people experience <laughs> the pain that you went through. I mean, I, I think everybody has this idealistic vision that they're going to make it different for their grad students, but the reality is that they're under so much time pressure and money pressure and grant pressure and data pressure and mm-hmm. the next conference and the next proposal that you just end up doing the right. same thing to your Every, grad students. Yeah, everyone's like, well, I grow up. I'm not going <laughs> to... Yes, not exactly. Do, yeah, you change your mind. Now, uh, I... One very important question that I've been meaning to ask you this whole time. Do you always wear uh, space-themed clothes? <laughs> so, uh, oh, because it has stars. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so this yeah. is, this is going to be my plug for Old Navy. You can send me a check later. Um, <laughs> Old Navy was having a sale two weeks ago uh, on their star-themed stuff. Mm-hmm. So I bought a shirt and a cardigan and tights and shoes that all have stars on them. <laughs> uh, awesome. And I've decided I made a conscious decision that I can't wear them all at the same time because oh, no. that would just be too much. That but now be... four of the five days, four of the five days that I come into work, I can wear star stuff. That's awesome. I have Dizzy. ha 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 tattooed on my arm. So like I'm yeah. not like I believe if you love it, wear it. You know exactly. Does that mean uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's always wearing star themed clothes? Like he has a star tie. Clearly shops and at Old Navy. Yeah, and like he, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was gonna ask. Um, all right, uh, Jesse, this is great. I'm so glad you came back. Um, Thank I'm you a little, again. I'm a little short on time this this I week. I know. But, I know. Um, it's great having you. Um, uh, we have a new Kickstart. Uh, sorry, not Kickstart. <laughs> we have a Patreon for Surely You're Joking. I'd really appreciate it if you're a fan of the show or even if you're not, but you listen anyway. Uh, please go to patreon.com slash syj and donate whatever you can. Um, a dollar or 10 cents. Um, if you make it recurring, even better. Really appreciate this. It costs a lot of money to run these. Um, do you I mean, provide additional content for Patreons? I I will, but I have not established what that is yet. So okay. just uh, I'll keep it. Maybe some bonus episodes, <laughs> some blooper yeah. reels. Probably blooper reels. Maybe the f bombs will all will only be for the Patreons. <laughs> <laughs> we have the kid version for everybody, and then uh, right. yeah. yeah, kids. More if you want to hear the f word, just uh, get your mom's credit card account. 
Uh, Mitch, do you have anything you want to plug? Are you doing any shows? Uh, yes, in in Valencia, I will be uh, oh, doing the. Maybe not though, because isn't that where the fires are? <laughs> it's but Valencia, but it's, it's right for, now. It's for New yeah. Year's, uh, so they'll they'll have it fixed by then. But it's at the Hyatt Regency. I'll be with. Uh, uh, Oh my gosh, I can't remember off the top of my head. But is it a comedian? I'm co- yes, it's comedian. another comedian. I'm co-headlining uh, two shows starting at 8 p.m. through midnight uh, for New Year's Eve at the Hyatt Regency in Valencia. So awesome. come see if me it's there. still standing. Yes. Uh, L.A. is on fire right now. Um, and would you like uh, people to follow you? On tw- I follow you on Twitter, and I love the things you post. It's very entertaining. That's right. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Aussie Astronomer. Awesome. Oh, that's a great strong. name. That is that's amazing. Right. You can't, at the time, you couldn't actually fit enough characters to spell the whole thing out. So Aussie is A-U-S-S-I, which is also French for also. So I like the, the multi-layered meaning, like Aussie astronomer. I'm also an astronomer, but I'm other <laughs> things too. But I'm an Aussie astronomer. So now, really it weird, all hangs together. A really weird thing about Twitter is now uh, you can change your handle and people are still following you. I mean, it, it, like, because they're following your ID number, like a hidden ID number. Right. So, yeah, I was really happy because I'm Kevin Peter Hickerson, and I couldn't fit that in the old one. I can finally have my whole name. I, you know, before it was Kevin P. Hickerson or something Hooray. like that. I want to be the whole name. All right. Anyway, they were clearly thinking about you when they did it. I would, <laughs> I would like to point out that, like, we are advancing as a society because she is verified on Twitter. Yeah. We are celebrating scientists now <laughs> and not just the Kardashians. Yeah. So we're making uh, we're making tw- progress. I think Twitter's doing really well with the cutting down on fake accounts and stuff by doing the verification. Mine's not verified yet. Um, because I don't have a website at the moment. Maybe you should go find some new planets. You do yeah. have to provide a <laughs> yeah, surprising to, amount of information to get to, verified. You have to have a website. You have to be, you have so to be was, comfortable with that. Yeah, sharing when that I was with still Twitter. when I was still at Caltech, I could have done it because I had a, a web Caltech website. It's too late now. Uh, maybe when I go back. All right, this has been surely you're joking. Thank you very much. <laughs>